Yeah, so thanks for joining. Um, so Jenna Butler, Dr. Jenna Butler, uh, already told us that she has a PhD in microbiology and is now, <laughs> uh, working uh, as a senior software engineer at Microsoft. And you also work as, as you were telling us, as an adjunct professor at uh, Bellevue College, uh, teaching cancer biology. And your specialties include software development, uh, teaching communication, analysis of algorithms, bioinformatics, dealing with ambiguity and motivational speaking. And uh, you were also recently selected as one of the top 150 Canadian women in STEM. So, wow. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Way to go. Canada. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. And a coup for Canada, too. And so um, I invited you here because of your great research that you did um, uh, with the diary study at Microsoft during the pandemic. And uh, as a class, we did read your paper, or read your paper, <laughs> and uh, came up with a set of questions. And so I'm going to go through those. And before I go to the student questions, I just wanted to ask you a little bit about why you used a diary study uh, for your study. Like what led you to that choice? Um, I don't know that this is such a great answer, but when I started it, I didn't really know what I was doing. So I, I have been working studying like the productivity of people within the office organization. And so we just got an email on Wednesday saying like, don't come in tomorrow. We're going to be home for at least two weeks. And I kind of had a feeling that it might not be just two weeks. And so my first thought was, you know, oh, we need to know how people are doing. Like, I can't go into work every day and ask them anymore and I can't observe them. So I need a way to ask. And so I thought, well, I'll just send out a survey they can do every night so that I can keep tabs on how people are doing. And then it turned out this had an official title and it was like a legit form of research. So it was just me like really wanting to, to, to hear how people were doing every day. And I, I also wanted to, this was sort of sneaky, but my hope was to force people to reflect on gratitude each day. I was really concerned about the mental health impacts of the pandemic. And we knew like from existing research that even just saying what you were grateful for could help. So I thought if we do this nightly and we make that a required field, it's a way to kind of force people into gratitude reflection. Mm -hmm. Well, I think your intuition is really good, right? Because you got some really rich data. Um, yeah, it did turn out better than I expected. <laughs> And then you, end, you ended up leading this huge productivity pro project at Microsoft too, right? With, I don't know, like 50 or more researchers across the country? Uh, 40 plus studies. So we just were like 42 studies or so that we kind of oversee and coordinate to make sure we're not, you know, setting the same survey out over and over or answering the same questions repeatedly. There's so many, you know, different things to study that we wanted that higher level of coordination. Great. Well, thank you. I'll go to the student questions now, if I may. And uh, the first few are about the findings that you presented in your paper. Um, and uh, I'll invite Rohit uh, Pudari to ask the first question. Yes. Um, so my question was, uh, were there any geographic factors that influence productivity, such as uh, developers in COVID worsened places versus COVID minimal places? Mm. Yeah, so we did look at their location and there wasn't anything statistically significant between them. But just from reading the diaries, we saw near the beginning that um, when India was really hit, we do have developers in India. That was hard. They were in a lockdown at a separate time than we were, I think. But we don't have, we have our, most of our developers are in Redmond. So while we had people in Norway, China, India, um, different parts of America, there, I don't think there were enough at any of those locations to get statistical significance in any differences. I would imagine that it is true, but we didn't find it. 
A really good question, though, uh, Rohit. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, thank you for that. Alessandra. Yeah. Um, so I, I'm wondering if uh, if you have repeated this study um, because after ninth month in this situation, probably something so the, more these emotional things may have changed. So mm -hmm. do you have any re new results for that? Yeah, that's a good question. I actually never stopped it. So I just left it running. Um, I changed it to only ask people Mondays and Fridays, like I only prompt them to, to enter a response on those days, but some people still choose to do it more. We're down to getting about 50 a week, whereas before I was getting hundreds. And I think it's self-selected down to people who are maybe having a hard time and really like that rhythm of um, continuing to have someone read it. I'm like, 12 weeks behind in the analysis, I think. Um, so I'm trying to stick as I do it by hand and they, we weren't keen on sharing it with anyone else because it's such sensitive data. So um, I am still looking. Recently, I realized I could start and work backwards. And so now I'm looking at the most recent weeks to see if there are like obvious differences. Um, and my, I'm actually considering, and I saw your question in the doc and it made me think maybe I should do this. <laughs> I'm considering doing another push of like, hey, we, we'd like to check in people who kind of dropped off naturally, you know, do you want to pop back in and, and give us some fresh data? So it is still ongoing. We do see trends over time. I've got it up to 20 weeks. Um, it's kind of neat. There were little things like when Puget Sound announced that schools would be virtual that week, kids were reported as a challenge a lot more. I think people were kind of thinking, oh my gosh, like, how am I going to do this? And it was just in their brain and um, workspace. When we announced that Microsoft announced an additional four months of for sure work from home, work, workspace spiked as a problem that people were having. I think people thought they could get by with the offices they had at the beginning, their home offices. And then once they found out it was going to be like 16 months, they thought, oh, this isn't productive, actually, like I need to fix where I'm working. So some things did change as it continued on. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's a great idea to maybe go back and try some yeah. of the people that aren't aren't giving you insights. Yeah. Check in, right? Well, and now we have new um, a new reason to encourage them too, because we're coordinating with someone at the university, a university in Australia to build a machine learning model to try to predict and automatically code. Because we have 7,000 coded diaries at this oh, point. Cool. So it's like this great data set. Yeah. So I'm hoping to tell them like, there's actually something going to come out of it again. So like, get back on the diary train. <laughs> yeah. Well, I hope that works out because the rest of us doing research could definitely benefit. From yeah, that'd be so that. great, right? It'd be great yeah. for me too. <laughs> So good. We'll, we'll keep an eye out for that. Uh, so thinking a little bit to, well, I mean, we're not there yet, you know, to in terms of after the pandemic, but, you know, looking ahead, uh, we have some questions about that. And I'll invite uh, Jonathan Bezo to ask a question. About that. Uh, yeah. <clears throat> so uh, my question is, uh, in your talk, you mentioned that people responded positively when asked about whether or not they enjoyed doing the, the, the daily reflection. Um, and my question is, do you think that this is something that companies should do more often? Asking their employees mm -hmm. to spend five minutes at the end of each workday to do a little reflection might lend to a lot of employee satisfaction as they think that management is listening to their concerns, even if there's no action taken. Yeah, actually, I do think that to some degree. And we've seen uh, Teams, the product, is actually releasing this 
like wellness feature, uh, they're calling it virtual commute, where they check in at the beginning and the end of the day to see how people are doing. And so they've taken a bit of that idea. It's gonna be more to help the person um, interact with work and then detach with work, but sim similar in concept. Um, and then Microsoft does do a daily pulse, it's called. So each day they send out a like two question survey, but they only you only get it once a quarter. So it's like they constantly get what would that be? One ninetieth of their employees, like telling them each day how they're doing, so that they can keep a, a tab on in general how things are. And I do think people appreciate that, and they iterate and say, like, "Hey, this is what we saw over the last quarter in the Daily Pulse. We're making these changes. Let's continue." And that goes to every employee in the company. So I think it'd be great. I mean, I, I think that was wise of them, and yeah, I think it'd be good for other companies to do it because it, it does feel nice to know. Actually, that's my concern with them. Um, a machine learning model being what does the categorizations is, I think for some people, the benefit of knowing a human was seeing, especially the people who are really struggling, um, was seeing their struggle was kind of important. So I fear if, if you made it too broad, then maybe you would lose that. But if you could somehow stay on top of it, I think that'd be great. Yeah, that's a really good point, Jenna, actually, about using machine learning for that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, let's see, Richard. Still sort of thinking about after post pandemic. Uh, yeah, so I was wondering, like, yeah, based on your findings, it seems like there's a pretty broad range of preferences for how people like to work, whether it's like mm -hmm. remotely or in person or uh, whatever. Um, and with kind of the pandemic, we've seen that companies are definitely able to offer some pretty varied options. So I was curious if you thought there are any major outstanding barriers preventing companies from offering work options that are as flexible as possible. Hmm, that's a good question. I suppose kind of what we're talking about right now, like the challenge in measuring how people are doing and what Courtney was discussing, measuring team productivity and how the team is doing and not just the individuals, like these are all areas where I think they're still learning to do on how you guys probably saw some of the companies initially said like, oh, never mind, this is great. We're all just gonna like let our people be remote forever. And Sacha said like, oh, not really sure. <laughs> so I think we know that for some people this works, but we know for some people it doesn't. And so we have yet to ascertain exactly what puts someone in one side or the other and, and what it does for a team dynamic. If you have a team made up of people in both camps and some of them are gone and some of them are in the office and is that a different power dynamic? So I don't think there's major barriers. We just want to be really cautious about how we're measuring it as we go and checking in with people and looking at all different <laughs> measures of productivity. That makes sense. Thank you. Great. Thanks, Richard. Um, Jonathan had a question. You may have kind of touched on this already, but do you think once offices are open again as an option for work that having the ability to completely work from home could make engineers more efficient and happy than even before the pandemic? Yeah, I don't know. I think I'm slower to jump on the we should all be remote train because like Courtney, I'm an extrovert and I miss people. Um, I have seen in the study, I don't know if we talked about this in the paper, but people who are neurodiverse, um, like maybe they have ADHD or, or whatever it might be, some of them said they're way more productive, especially people with anxiety, actually. They found it was a lot better and they didn't even know that about themselves because they had never had that opportunity and they didn't want to have to self-disclose that they had a neurodiversity. Um, so I know that there is at least a category of people for which this was way better and it would be great if they didn't have to fight for the ability to do that because it just is better for them. Um, 
but across the board, I'm not sure. Microsoft, and I, I probably sound like a fangirl, but Microsoft said that they're going to do like 50%. So you can work from home up to 50% of your time without, that's just considered the new normal and you don't need permission from your manager. And I kind of like that because they're, I think they're sort of trying to force people to not go too far. So like if you have to come into the office some days a week, you're not working from like a whole nother country. So there's going to be some cohesion there. And if you need everyone to come in for something, you could. Um, but you're still giving people flexibility. I thought, well, that seems like a good way to start, yeah. but I'm, I don't know. I, I guess none of us really know, but I do, I did, I was surprised at the finding that for some people, this is just full on better. And because of the way they are working in the office, like lowers their productivity. It's not just that they like it and their well being and satisfaction is improved, which we know is linked to productivity. They're also literally better at doing their job in the standard measures as well. So it's like, well, of course we should let them and I don't want them to have to explain why, I guess. Yeah, yeah it's it's very interesting. And it relates to a little bit of a one of the questions we had earlier about when you hire people, you know, ask, oh, yeah. you know, what kind of way they want to work, right? You know, what what's better for them? So there, I think there's yeah. going to be a lot of changes coming, really. I am slightly nervous. This is maybe taking us off topic and I don't even know what time it is, but okay, it's only 345. Okay, good. Okay. Um, you know, at Microsoft, there's a lack of diversity in our software engineers. And I think we see that across the board, right? Like there's this, like the programmer culture, or there's not a lot of women, not a lot of diverse candidates. I have observed, and this is just totally personal, but some of the people who fit into that stereotype really like to work independently and alone, and they don't want to pair program as much, or they're not as into the collaboration. And so I would hate to have some of the sort of stereotypes reinforced if we allow people to be like, I don't like being a programmer at home as much. I really love programming with people doing like mob programming or group programming. And if everyone got to choose, my whole team would work from home and never talk to me. Like, in a, you know, like they're super, not my research team, not you guys, not yeah. you guys, but <laughs> my uh, software engineering team, they just they love to like go to the door, like close their door and have hours alone with their computer. Like that is what they want to do. And I never quite fit there, which is kind of why I liked moving to research. And it's like, ooh, would we be allowing that fracturing of team dynamic and cohesion? And then would we have even less, you know, women or minority or people just who are different in how they work? And so that makes me nervous too. Oh, that is such a good point, uh, Jenna. And actually Derek uh, chimed in in the chat. He said, yeah, his team would also do the same. Yeah. And that's like, fine. If I mean, sure, that's how your team works. But then what happens when you hire like Bob and he doesn't want to work like that? And yeah. and that's not what's better. Like, then what are you, I don't know. Yeah. Sounds like another really good research topic. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and an important one, right? You know, yeah, it, it, I think it, so. Oh, well, okay, now I'm really scared. <laughs> um, uh, Dylan, um, did you want to jump in? Yeah, sure. Um, it was actually like you've already mentioned this uh, my question was like about having or keeping the survey diary study going long term which it seems like you're doing already and uh, I was wondering if the kind of daily um, interval was uh, viable for a more longer term and but I see you've already switched it to like every uh, twice a week or something like that so yeah. yeah is what would you suggest if someone wanted to uh keep going long term with this i think if it was minimally invasive it would be good so like if it was frictionless you know maybe 
something that's just there in the bottom of your screen that you can click. Like ours was really simple. It had a smiley rating for satisfaction. So you just clicked the smiley that fit and then there was two open text box boxes. Um, I feel like sending people an email every day probably got old and they were like, I, I would think, you know, you start to ignore it at a certain time. So a daily cadence when it's something that requires them to open an email, go to a link, like type it in, submit. I'm not sure that might have too much friction. But I think like the, the thing in Teams, I don't know if any of you use Teams, but when a meeting is over, it just asks how the quality was. And it's just part of the like closing down a meeting process and there's very little friction. So they ask after every meeting and it, like somehow that hasn't seemed annoying. So perhaps if I think the daily, I think it's good for people to reflect daily. And if there's a way that they could work that into the work stream that's frictionless, I think then, then, it, then it's possible. But I wasn't sure if mine was, it seemed like a lot of friction. It seemed like a lot of spam to send them an email every day. Thank you. Yeah, yeah great. You're welcome. Yeah, Dylan, thank you. Um, so going uh, a little bit beyond your findings, so changing topic here a little bit with some of our questions. And so some of these were, were kind of going a bit beyond your findings and sort of asking you a little bit more about what you know your, your insights are. Um, so Shuja, um, he asks about uh, the situation that happened with Microsoft Game Studios. I don't know if you know about this. Microsoft's a very big company, but um, they presented their next title at a conference three months ago, and apparently it was full of bugs and it had fewer graphical visu visuals, and it wasn't a complete and finished product. And they later explained that it was due to the teams working from home and productivity issues. Did you hear about that? Uh, I looked at the links in the, in the doc oh, you yeah. shared. Yeah. Yeah. They said, what's your point of view? You know, can the software teams have good productivity even if they are geographically distributed from home in this case? And, you know, maybe there's something sort of unique about the, the game development teams. I've, I've actually visited them at Microsoft and they do seem to work a little differently actually. Yeah. Uh, I, yeah, when I saw that, I was surprised that they like full on blamed it on this. <laughs> like, well, you know, we're all remote. So I guess it's not gonna be as good. That's That was sort of surprising to me. Um, I actually, if I had to just take a guess, I would have thought that uh, teams that build games might be better remote because uh, you can do all these fun games. You can like <laughs> gamify it and be remote and still play games. Like that's one of the benefits of building games. So like digital games. So I was sort of surprised to see that. But um, I I think that I'm, I'm, I'm having a hard time forming it because there's certain pieces I think I know of that story that aren't released. So I'm trying to <laughs> figure out how to, how to answer it. My thinking is this was a global pandemic is it obviously affected lots of people. It is not necessarily the fact that we're working from home, but that we're working during a crisis where, you know, people are getting sick and children out of schools and people are losing their jobs. This put a ton of mental stress on every member of the human race. And so that impacted work greatly. Um, I think that in the future, a world where we are hybrid or remote, where we're not under a pandemic could potentially be just as productive. And I think that the, the opportunity with Microsoft Games is to look at what leading indicators we could have seen. So like what metrics could have predicted this kind of thing? Um, let us know, you know, hey, these elements are suffering when we work remotely and these are actually benefiting. And so if we can address this side, you know, like we know that creative work and brainstorming is harder remotely. 
So when you have a, a list of backlog features that you have to get done, that's a great time to go remote. Like everyone knows what they do, it's heads down, you're just working. And they, maybe you bring people back for other times. So studying you know, which pieces do they feel like were hampered by the situation and keeping in mind that the situation wasn't normal work from home, but try to not let the world fall apart during a pandemic, like very different. Derek had actually something he wanted to chime in about that. He knows a bit more of the backstory, I guess. Uh, yeah, so when I said um, like a good chunk of my team got reassigned, um, I was in Activision Central Tech uh, working on the build system. So one of our largest issues, which they explicitly say is games have a lot of data, like um, mm. the unbuilt files was two terabytes and wow. you'd be moving some pretty hefty numbers around. Um, we were running a 10 gig line straight to our data center just mm. for us and mm -hmm. some other teams, uh, one studio was upgrading to 100 gigs and that's wow. with local replication. So you cache it on your site and then that's just the changes. Wow, and we, wow. We don't run them, but the, these numbers just get huge really fast. And these are all dedicated lines. These aren't general internet. Um, and work from home was really an issue because to sync down some of that stuff, like I had to download 400 gigs and it took like two days because I had to run it through our VPN system. And, mm -hmm, that's, mm -hmm. and we ran out of hardware. Like we literally couldn't buy enough. We had yeah, yeah, that was a big it. problem. Yeah. Oh yeah, and I had to go buy Google Cloud to go create replication servers and then go pay eight bucks and eight cents a gig to move our stuff out because that's how much it costs. So like we threw a good chunk of money at this and it still didn't work great. It was wow. a massive hit. We changed workloads completely because you would just go to smaller changes and hope for the best. Mm -hmm. So for three months, I think, yeah, about three months, it was not I barely um, any of the main changes people wanted were just cut off because no one had enough connection. Wow. Yeah, I think that's really interesting and a valid point. Like if you're working with huge numbers like that, then maybe working from home with the way we currently have internet is going to be really challenging. That's yeah, that's a great point. All right. Thanks, Derek. Yeah, so like if you just see a sun blackout, um, when the games came out last week and that can take down entire networks so did you answer any surveys problem. when you were working this summer <laughs> sorry yeah. i don't know we didn't, we didn't go around and do that no <laughs> welcome central tech this one. um so anch has a has a good question that you might have a, a good opinion on um so he says that he's heard uh, horror stories of people being forced to keep their cameras on so that their oh. managers, you haven't heard about this, can keep an eye on them during work. This is quite common, apparently. Uh, and so with people working from home, it made it harder for accountability and ensuring productive work days. Um, do you think uh, people that were more grateful and with overall a more positive mindset would be likely mm -hmm. to work and be just as productive as not when working from home? Wow. I mean, there's just like so many things wrong there. Uh, <laughs> not with your question, but i have heard of people having to keep their cameras on i mean it's it's sort of absurd um i do think i mean i we know that being grateful helps with productivity and overall mental health so yes to that piece but i think that sorry my kids are crying i don't know if you can hear them i think someone fell down the stairs they're fine my husband's there um i think that I think this is more of an issue of like organizational dynamics and culture, because 
if there's trust within the team, then I would like to think that my manager trusts that I'm doing the best I can, whether they can watch me or not. And we actually see this even in internal studies I had done before the pandemic. We had teams where they moved from one floor to a different building and they felt like they were suddenly more productive. And they wondered if it was because their directors were not in the same building and couldn't like come and look over their shoulder and be like, oh, what are you doing? And get them off track with like, oh, I need these numbers or can you do this? They could just sort of focus. And if it was trusted that that's what they were doing and they were left alone, then they were able to be really productive. And so when we went remote, a lot of managers thought, well, if I can't see them, I can't ensure they're doing their work. And if no one's watching their back, they're not doing their work. Like as if they're, you know, toddlers who need to be watched. So. I, I think that hopefully we can build teams where the culture and the belief is that you're going to do your best work. And if you're struggling, then we can talk about it or it'll be observed and not just unless I'm watching you, you're not going to work. Like, why would you ever hire someone if you had that belief? Um, and I don't think that's the way most humans are. It's just sort of something that because we're used to observing people, we feel like that must be necessary. Uh, and then I think too, if people are reflecting, then that could be beneficial for their productivity and perhaps quite beneficial for their manager. Like actually one of the number one gratitudes we see is work. Like the thing that people are grateful for is I got this bug fixed. Like I've been working so hard. I'm so glad I got it. Or I had a really great, um, like coding session and I felt so productive and I was in flow and it was great. So not grateful for having a job and not grateful for their team or their manager, but like literally the work they're getting to do it to do is the favorite part of their day. And so if the manager could see that, I think that that might also help them realize like my people are doing this work because they love it, not because, you know, I'm being a taskmaster with them. Wow. That's a, that's a great insight. Thanks for sharing that, Jenna. Wow. Uh, yeah, I, I don't, you know, on the days where you can't do much, you do feel grateful that you have a job, right? Compared to some people too, right? Yeah. Just, I mean, can't work right now. Can't do much. Yes, else. absolutely. And for people, some people, it was just like a mental thing too. Like the fact that they had a job that was mentally engaging. They were so thankful. It was the only time they weren't worrying about the coronavirus or the election or whatever it might be. Yeah. So just they actually liked working. Yeah. Like that was their, that was their relief. Yeah, so along the same lines and sort of asking you for your insights, Roshan had a question. I'll invite him to jump in. Uh, yes, hi. Um, so uh, you have even talked about uh, software engineers um, working during the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, my question was, could you share some of your insights on, and experiences on how um, working from home has impacted research or researchers or even re research methods? Um, for instance, do you feel um, this has somehow impacted how, uh, how people respond to surveys or interviews in general? Mm. I don't I don't know that I'm you know qualified to answer this. I don't know that I've had enough experience in research uh, in, in this COVID time. My guesses would be people have seemed more inclined to respond to surveys because they know I'm actually we're, like the world is learning and adjusting and I can be part of that learning. Whereas sometimes you get a survey and it's like, eh, you know, what my, my opinion is not really going to make a difference. I don't think people feel that way right now. I think they know people are desperate to learn. And so they might be more inclined to participate in surveys or interviews or whatever it might be. I think research, I would guess that some research has suffered because we can't meet in person since we know that brainstorming and creative work is harder remote. I actually had one meeting since the pandemic with um, Tom and Chris, two of the researchers in our lab in my garage. And we had masks and we each had our own table like six feet apart. Cause I just felt like I cannot get anywhere unless we get together and like bring our ideas together. And like, 
I mean, maybe we just don't have the tools or the solutions yet, but so I would wonder how, how that kind of work has been progressing in the research world. Um, but I would hope that people are more inclined to participate and give their uh, data and their insights because we want to know, like, this is a totally new shift for the whole world. So it's kind of exciting. Mm -hmm. Great. Thanks. Yes. Thanks for that question, Roshan. I have to, I have to reflect on that myself, actually. Yeah. Some time <laughs> to stop and reflect, but yeah, super interesting. So we just have a couple of questions left, if that's okay, Jenna, are you okay time-wise there? Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, these are sort of more about being healthy and mental health. Um, so Rush, would you like to ask your question? Yeah, sure. Um, so you mentioned uh, physical and mental challenges that uh, how they can be uh, how we can provide solutions for them. For instance, like for physical challenges, it's easier to provide solutions with the way we sit or like take breaks or different things. But for mental challenges, do you think like feeling isolated? Can we even have like solutions for that? Like until we get to the point that the pandemic is over. But mm. if this is going to go for a year or two, is it like, is it possible to find a new solution for like mental challenges? I definitely like to think that it is. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure for me personally, I know I was like literally crying on the floor of our playroom the other day being like, I miss seeing humans. <laughs> like, I know that there are some pieces that might not come together fully until we can get back in person. But um, therapists, like mental health therapists are still meeting people in person in America, at least because they're considered like critical workers and some therapists don't believe they can effectively do therapy without, uh, being able to see like all the body signals a person is giving, not just like the 2d on a screen. So, you know, people can still seek out help in those ways. Um, I think that it's also perhaps driving people to do different things to take care of their mental health. Like. Um, I don't know, personally, as a spiritual person, like I can pray and that hasn't been taken away from me by the pandemic, or I can like read my Bible more. And so there's things that people can do. Some people like to meditate or do yoga. And like, we know that there are ways to take care of your health, whether you can see other people or not. Like even going for a walk is like scientifically proven to release hormones in your brain that make you feel better. It's so, like, there are things people can do. And there's some really cool apps taking advantage of this. There's, um, there's an app super like super life or something. I can't remember. It was developed by a person who develops video games and she got a really bad concussion, like really bad. And she couldn't read. She couldn't play games. She just had to lay in bed for months. And I guess she said like, I'm either going to die or I'm going to find a way to like survive this super better. So she got super better. That's what it's called. Oh, yeah. So cool. it's a, it's supposed to be like a video game where you have like allies that you can work with, but they're your real connections in real life. And so you might have like a level up challenge where you have to text someone and give them a compliment. And it's like, that's how your character advances in this virtual game, but you have to do it in the real world. Like it's really amazing. And so she actually, they've done trials with this app and it's improved depression and anxiety and various mental health issues. Um, there's a great, she's got some Ted talks. She's really cool. So I think that there are ways, I mean, ideally, I, I think humans should have <laughs> human interactions, but in the meantime, I definitely think, like, I don't think it's a lost cause. I think there's lots of things and there's lots of literature on how to help, you know, you know, even when people are isolated. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Thanks so much for that question. And Jenna, that, that's super interesting. I'm going to look that app up for sure. Yeah. Super better. Really fun. 
Super better. Love it. She has a tech, she has a TED talk about how we can use video games to change the world. And she has these stats on how many hours people play video games. And she's like, what if the video games were like curing diseases, which some of them are, right? Like folding at home, you can fold proteins. And she said, we just have to change the video game. Apparently there was a study with one video game where you had to use less like lower your carbon footprint in the video game, but it was in real life. And for two years after the, the trial ended, people were still producing less like carbon energy and stuff. So it was like, it actually affected how they lived. So it's really cool. She thinks that games can change our brain. Is that Jane McGonigal? Yeah, there we um, go. <laughs> yeah, I've seen, I've seen some of her earlier TED Talks. Mm -hmm. yeah. Oh, that's super cool. Thank you for that. Thanks, Sarish. So for our last question, it's uh, still a little on the theme of, uh, of uh, mental health, but also thinking about um, meetings. I'll invite Tyler to ask our last question for today. Thank you. Hi, sorry, sorry, I had to shoot the microphone there. Um, so my question um, is about, in the video, you spoke about uh, making changes to meetings and making some other changes to the way that the workday works in order to try to compensate for the fact that people's mental health has been more tenuous during the pandemic. Um, and I, I'm curious whether or not you think that the, what we're seeing is like mental health improvements that would be positive in any context. And we're only sort of seeing them now because, um, because of the pandemic is exacerbating any, any potential mental health issues that people are mm -hmm. having or do you think that these these sort of changes are really only effective within the context of the pandemic? That's a good question. I think that um, some of the changes are only effective, but because they happened naturally when we weren't in the pandemic. So for instance, we had to add the five minute buffer between meetings because the way that at least Microsoft work is we would have physical meetings and you would have to book a room and each room was only bookable for an hour. So even if you had a long meeting, sometimes you had to switch rooms or you have an hour meeting and then you go to a different room and you would walk by like the water cooler, the bathroom, those were all centrally located. So when you kind of changed rooms, you would see all those things. So people, it was just sort of a natural rhythm that you might be a few minutes late because you were gonna get a drink or you're gonna use the bathroom. With When we switched to online meetings, you could literally like end and just click join instantly. And there was no built-in reason to not be able to do that. So if you're late, you're just late. Like, why are you late? Like I could see the conference room from the restroom like door. So it'd be like, I'm going in here. I'll see you in a sec, you know? So that those solutions were mimicking what we have in the real world. Um, so I don't know about the ones sort of specific with meetings, but some of the things coming out of how to make meetings more productive in the pandemic will be really useful. So we are, I mean, these are things we've always known about meetings, but it's suddenly become more important since video calls are so draining on the brain, but like having an agenda and, and re-evaluating recurring meetings every quarter to make sure they're still productive for you. These things I hope will persist when we go back because they will help not, you know, have so many meetings. It's just that in-person meetings are sometimes more fun. So I don't, I don't know if people cared quite as much before. Great. Thanks, Tyler. Thanks. Thanks. Yeah. It's going to be interesting to see what happens with meetings. Um, we had an earlier speaker too, um, that uh, Greg Wilson, he offered to come back and talk about running good meetings. Uh, cool. He's, he's given talks on that. So I think he's going to come back and do that later in the term. So that's uh, the end of our, our half an hour with you, uh, Jenna. Thank you very much. That What a great discussion. Um, so many uh, lovely insights there. Is there anything that you wanted to share before we close or any closing thoughts? Uh, these students are all in software engineering undergrad. Is that what it would? Yeah, I uh, guess. No, half are grads. 
So oh, half grad. grad students and uh, the other half are sort of fourth year undergraduate students. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I guess I would just encourage you, you know, you're asking such great questions and it's really nice to see how engaged people are and concerns around mental health and well-being. You can have a job in CS and still study these things, which I don't think I knew until I met people like Peggy. So, you know, if you, if these are areas you care about, like I encourage you to keep pushing in them because it's, I don't think we've really cared or, or asked ourselves these questions broadly enough until we had this forcing function of a pandemic. So, you know, when you get back into work and it's done, don't forget that like it's real humans doing the jobs and taking care of them should be a top priority. Mm -hmm. Thanks for that. That's such a nice closing point. And, you know, your, the, the research method that you used of the diary study and asking the question about gratitude was just amazing. Like such a great yeah. insight to ask people like what they feel gratitude for in the time where, you know, everybody was focused on what, what's wrong, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think Thanks. that, I think it really helped people kind of surface those things and sort of recognize, you know, well, we do have some things we feel gratitude for and, and then to help the people that didn't, right? Um, mm -hmm. the insights that you brought. So thank you again for visiting. Thanks, folks.